All right, I want to welcome everybody who's here this morning. Uh, we are so excited to be kicking off our Advent season with you today. So thank you for being here, everybody who's watching online. Uh, the place looks incredible. And you can feel it in the atmosphere. Christmas is coming. I don't know uh, how things work in your house, but in the Vincent family, uh, things make a sudden shift. Uh, we shift fast and hard uh, to Christmas mode right after Thanksgiving. And we spent the better part of Friday pulling all of our Christmas decorations out of the garage, bringing them into the house, uh, setting up the tree, hanging the lights. And then I hoisted Hudson up on my shoulders and kind of walked over and he put the star on top of the tree. So special. And then we turned it on and, yeah, the tree was lit. You know, I mean, you cannot miss it now. The countdown to Christmas has begun. Okay? Same thing is happening here at our church, Hope Community Church. The countdown to Christmas has begun. And in the church calendar, we call that Advent. Advent comes from a Latin word, which just means coming or arrival. This is a season of preparing our heart by anticipating and celebrating the arrival of Jesus Christ in our world. But as we're going to see throughout this series, that Christmas uh, really doesn't just begin with the arrival of Jesus in a manger. Christmas was actually God's plan from the very beginning. Christmas was foretold. We heard that in the skit this morning. Just want to thank Cody and Faith. They did an incredible job. We heard that in our reading this morning. And now I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, to one of the earliest chapters in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to see today the very first sign of Christmas. How about for you? Uh, where, wh what are usually for you the very first signs of Christmas? Is it when you decorate the house or put the lights up on the Christmas tree like our family did this weekend? Or, or, maybe, it's, uh, or maybe it's seeing for the very first time Santa Claus coming at the end of the Happero Parade. I, I don't know if you did that last week. It's like Santa's, hey, I know that guy, right? Santa's coming. Uh, maybe the signs of Christmas came much earlier for you this year. Our family shops at Costco. And uh, well before we had our Thanksgiving turkey, before we'd given out any candy for Halloween, uh, at the beginning of October, I went into Costco and I saw Christmas trees and Christmas decorations. All the Christmas stuff is out. It's not even Halloween yet. For some of you, the very first sign of Christmas comes the start of January when you're headed to the stores to get those 50% off sales. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The half price decorations and wrapping paper and all that stuff. Uh, our family uh, set up our Christmas tree, like I mentioned, on Friday. And the tree that we set up was actually a tree that Angie and I bought our very first year of marriage uh, at a Target on the day after Christmas for 50% off. <laughs> it was awesome, right? And here we are uh, many years later. Uh, but, you know, that tree, buying it... You, 
the day after Christmas. There were still 364 days till Christmas came. But our plan was already in motion. The story was already beginning to take shape. Where does Christmas begin? What is the very first sign of Christmas? Well, it's in the very first pages of the Word of God. And that's what we'll see today as we study Genesis chapter 3, especially verse 15. We're going to go all the way back to the moments after the fall of humanity. Because where the fall enters, the story of Christmas immediately begins. We hear the very first promise of a Savior. And I want to encourage you this morning, although we live in a fallen and broken world, sometimes things don't always happen the way we hope or the way we imagine, Christ is still present in our circumstances. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. But more than that, we don't need to be defeated because Jesus Christ has won the victory. I have a message of hope for you this morning. Um, and, but before we get there, we need to go all the way back to the beginning where we discover the very first sign of Christmas. So Genesis 3, uh, verses, one, or, yeah, verses 1 through 15, check this out. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You won't certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what's this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Here it is. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for the wonder of this season. As we come now before, uh, before your, your throne and your presence and before this hallowed ground where the manger sits and our Savior is born, we thank you that you came to rescue us from sin and from evil. And I pray today that as we 
look at this passage, God, that you would, uh, that you would show us the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. And that we would turn from the lies of the enemy. And that we would truly share in the triumph of Christ, who is the Lamb who was slain and the Lion of Judah. So bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm excited to dive into this. Looking for the very first signs of Christmas. We see it in the very first pages of our Bible. And we discover that the story of Christmas begins really with the lies of the serpent. And the Genesis account opens up with this incredible description of how God creates the heavens and the earth. The stars and the galaxies burst forth at the voice of God. He fashions the earth with all of its seas and land with plants and creatures. Then God in his, in his most special act of creation fashions a man and a woman and he places in, in a garden. This is a place of abundance, of abundant life where they enjoy God and one another and uh, they eat from the tree of life. All is well in the garden God has created. Verse uh, Genesis chapter 131 says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So God did not create anything evil according to this passage. It was all very good. Yet we come to Genesis chapter 3 and there's this serpent. Look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. This passage tells us that God made all of the wild animals. He made all the creatures of the earth. Uh, I, and that would mean, you know, lo love it or hate it, God made snakes too. I'm on the hate it. I'm not a big fan of snakes. But, but this passage tells us that God created the serpent. He made snakes, and by design, they're just a little bit sneakier, craftier, more subtle than all the other creatures that God created. And we can see that today. I had an opportunity to spend uh, some time in South Africa a few years ago. South Africa is the home to 170 varieties of snakes. That's about 170 more than I even want to know about. But 20 of them are venomous enough that it could actually kill you, especially one called the Black Mamba. Right? Just those words kind of strike fear <laughs> into my heart. And so we're, as we're there, you know, we're, we're kind of aware um, that we could be in certain places where we need to be aware of those slithering snakes. But at one time, I, I asked my guide about the black mamba. You know, if you, get, uh, if you get bitten by a black mamba, it's fatal in about 20 minutes. So I said, oh, all right, what should I do? If I'm bitten by a black mamba, like how, how what, what, what do I do? And he says curl up next to a tree and die. Like, that's it. That's all you can do. We do have, in our post-fall world, some fear of snakes. They're not only sneaky, they can be dangerous too. But remember, it was not so in Eden. That was not so in the garden. Verse 1 tells us, we'll look at this here, verse 1 tells us 
that this was a serpent God had made. So I believe this is a real serpent here. But it's also not acting just like a serpent, is it? It's, it's, been, it's become a, a hijacked creature uh, who has been chosen for its subtlety to become an instrument or, or a vessel, if you will, of something far more vile. Now, where that evil comes from, we're not exactly told. It, it lies uh, uh, hidden, buried, if you will, within the mystery of God. But we know that when God created the heavens and the earth, he made, it all, he made all things very good. So this evil has come from outside of God's creation. Yes, this, this most likely is a real serpent, but make no mistake, the voice is of the devil. Right? This, this creature here is clearly evil. He opposes God. He questions God's word. He he uh, absolutely despises the idea that as humans we might have a life in God of glorifying Him and enjoying all of His blessings. He hates it. So how might this serpent lure us further and further away from a relationship with God? What does he do? He speaks lies. The serpent lies. And, and he does to this day. He tells the same kind of lies to prevent us from enjoying the blessings of a relationship with God. And we should not be unaware of his schemes. Let's just look at some of these lies of the serpent. Look at verse 1. The serpent said to the woman, did God really say? Isn't that just venomous how he begins with this question? Did God really say? Questioning God's word. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Help me out. Is that what God said? Don't eat from any of the trees of the garden? No, absolutely not. The serpent wants, even wants all of us to entertain hard thoughts of God. Oh, you know who God is? God is the one who restricts you. God, God is the, he's the one who's always telling you what not to do. It's a lie of the enemy. God had created this beautiful garden for Adam and Eve. He had given them the opportunity to eat from all the trees of the garden, except this one in the middle of the garden. And, and as we come off of Thanksgiving week, don't we experience 10 trillion of God's blessings every single day? The heart of God for, for you and for me is a heart of love and blessing Truth and kindness. Don't be deceived by the lies of the serpent. Eve counteracts this lie of how you know, hard and unfair God is. But you see, she's already being poisoned. The poison is already at work in her heart. Look at verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. That's interesting. Everything that Eve starts to say here is true. 
God had given them all the trees in the garden from which they could eat. God had given them one no to protect all of his yeses. But she kind of adds to the word of God and says, oh, and you much must not touch it. We hear this restrictiveness again, but this time it's not from the serpent, but from Eve herself. And then Satan flat out denies the word of God that sin would have any sort of consequences. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Ah, it's not going to affect you. No, don't worry about it. For God knows that when you eat from it, Your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, the message hasn't changed. We hear the same deceptive ideas to this day. In order to express ourselves, in order to really be free, we need to uh, sometimes become transgressive in certain ways. We hear that I need to liberate myself by... Uh, I I can liberate myself from the moral law without any consequences because when I do so, I decide for myself what's right and wrong. As the serpent said, you shall be as gods. This is the issue in our culture today. And this moral progressivism is, is nothing but the very first lie in the book. What happens? Because of the lies of the serpent... Adam and Eve sin. And believe me, it's not just eating a piece of fruit. But it's what that fruit represents. A disobedience to God. Rebelling against God. A heart that is turning away from the Lord. And we can't do that without consequence. In the day you eat of it, God promises, you shall surely die. And make no mistake, Adam and Eve did die that day. Sin initiated a process of physical death, which would come. It began a spiritual death, being alienated from God, cast away from his presence that would go on for eternity. And that's all of us. The Bible says we are dead in our transgressions and sins. And it would be just and it would be right of God to end the story right there. But in an act of amazing grace, God bestows on humanity the very first sign of Christmas. Christmas begins, first of all, with the lies of the serpent, but I love this. It begins with the promise of a Savior. From the very moment sin enters this world, God provides the announcement Christmas is coming. A Savior is coming. Hope is coming. This verse in Genesis 3.15 is often called the Proto-Evangelium or the Proto-Euangelion by theologians. It just means the first gospel. This is really the first mention in the whole Bible of the good news of the gospel and the coming advent of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's so incredible. And even as the angels would come to announce to the shepherds who are keeping watch of their flocks in the field by night, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And we can simply go back all the way to Genesis 3.15 to hear the very first promise spoken by God of a coming Savior who will bring salvation to the world. Check this out. I love it. Genesis 3.15. God makes this statement to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Wow, you see the power of this promise? The enemy will be defeated and Christ will win the victory. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Notice how this promise foretells the birth of Jesus. There are genealogies all throughout Scripture. So-and-so begot so-and-so, especially in Genesis. And in these genealogies, it's characteristic that they are traced from father to son, father to son. Yet do you notice something unusual about this promise of an offspring? doesn't say the seed of the man. It says the seed of the woman. Jesus, our Lord, who was very God, a very God, for you and for me and for our salvation, had a body prepared for him by the Holy Spirit to be born of a woman named Mary who had never known a man. He truly was, just as it was foretold, the offspring of a woman. This promise also foretells the defeat of Satan and the victory of our Savior. All throughout the ministry of Jesus, he put himself in direct opposition to the work and the power of Satan. Jesus also was tempted. But unlike Adam, our second Adam overcame the lies of the serpent by speaking the truth of God's word. It's a great example for us. And not only that, but Jesus would, in his ministry, he would drive out the darkness by casting out demons and setting people free. He would expose Satan for who he is. And in John 8, 44... Jesus calls the serpent a liar and the father of lies. The long-awaited rival of this serpent had come in Jesus Christ. I like what it says in 1 John. 1 John 3.10 even tells us, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Why? What's, what's the reason Jesus came? He came to destroy the devil's work in our life and in our world. He came to win a victory for every one of us. You know, in, uh, in sports sometimes, uh, certain athletes will develop these, uh, these iconic victory poses. You have uh, Tiger Woods and he's got his legendary arm pump. I guess that's what you do when you golf, you know, when you hit a good one. You pump the arm, 
you know, it's iconic. That tiger, you could trademark that. Maybe he has, I don't know. You have eight-time Olympic gold medalist runner, Usain Bolt, who has his signature lightning bolt point. I mean, I like that. It's pretty awesome. A little bit closer to home here in Philadelphia, we have the Rocky Balboa pose. I love that. You've lived in and around Philadelphia. You've probably seen tourists, uh, you know, standing with their arms raised at the top of the stairs. The Philadelphia Museum of Art. Got a Rocky pose. Guys, Jesus, too, has his victory pose. Take a look at the next picture. It's the cross. It's the cross. This is where Jesus wins our victory. This is his victory pose. Isn't it amazing how Genesis 3.15 even foreshadows the cross? Let's read it one more time. God says of the coming Savior to the serpent, he will crush your head. Okay, that's, that's going to be fatal. <laughs> right? Head crush, not good. You will strike his heel. In the process of the Savior delivering the ultimate victory blow, the serpent will have an opportunity to strike at the heel. And it was the cross where the serpent struck the heel of Jesus. But it was the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that crushed the head of the serpent. He has won the victory. And for those who trust in the cross, for those who look at Jesus and receive his victory, Jesus takes the sting out of death and the power out of sin. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 tells us the victory we have in Jesus Christ is what it says. When you were dead in your sins, Remember the consequence to Adam and Eve? When you eat that fruit, you will surely die. Physical death, spiritual death. Colossians says, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away. It's gone. He nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's our Jesus. How do we come alive to God in a new relationship with him? How does every charge against us become disarmed, canceled, and forgiven? How do we share in the eternal victory of the lamb who was slain? Colossians tells us we come to the cross and it begins with us renouncing the lie of the serpent that we shall be as gods. If there's anything the cross tells us today, it is that we need God. We need a savior from our sins. And by trusting in Jesus Christ today, by receiving that new life through faith in his death and resurrection, we share in the victory of Jesus. 
right? The battle has been won. So whatever we face this holiday season, know that Jesus Christ is present in your life. He is your Emmanuel. Satan is on blast. And Jesus will come again, not just as a baby in a manger, but he's coming back as a conquering king, riding on a white horse, and he will once and for all end the battle and triumph over evil. This is our hope as we celebrate Advent both the first advent of Jesus Christ and his coming return. Hallelujah. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. This Christmas season has begun for us here at Hope Community Church. But by the way, it began so much longer ago in the very first pages of Scripture with the lie of a serpent and the promise of a Savior. This is just one promise or one prophecy of over 400, or excuse me, over 300 that come to us throughout the Scripture. And we'll begin to look at some of those in the weeks to come as we discover a Christmas foretold. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the victory that you've won in Jesus Christ. We are not afraid of the evil that assails us because you have taken the sting out of death. You've canceled the charge against us. There is no more accusation. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are fully free and forgiven to enjoy every blessing that is ours in Jesus Christ. So today we celebrate with joy the coming of our Savior. And maybe this is the Advent season. If you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, you say yes to him today. And we thank you, God, that as you have won the victory, we can share in your eternal victory, too. We come to this holy ground this morning for the manger of Jesus to worship with all of our hearts, all of our adoration, and all of our love for the Savior who is worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.